This is a church that, for better or worse, has been known probably since its inception as the Church of Perpetual Lent. (laughs) I'm not sure for any of the reasons that we should have hoped, but I think we perhaps deserved it. I'll take ownership for that anyway. And as I have sensed a move within this church to set aside the acid aniline imperial purple of the Roman church for the unbleached linen and oxblood of English usage, the medieval church, I become more and more aware that Lent is really about love, not about law. The scriptures say to us again, love, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. But we, conditioned perhaps by that imperial church, hear law, 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 judgment, judgment, judgment. And the whole pretense of Lent is our ability to impose enough judgment on ourselves that God will somehow pass this over as he looks for someone on whom to bring down the hammer. It's not that judgment isn't there in our soul, as we see in the psalm we've heard, the psalm that the Reformers spoke on their way to their execution. But I think I can say that the judgment we feel about sin is the judgment we bring on ourselves as we go, go, grow close to the God who is ready to give us forgiveness. Sin brings with it its own punishment. Sin pays a wage, and the wage is death. And the God we see, even in this canticle from the Apocrypha, for heaven's sake, is pleading with us to rend our hearts, to accept the forgiveness he is doing everything he can to offer. And when Jesus comes, that offer is put on the table. So, it's Alexander Schmemann who notes, the Lenten season is meant to kindle a bright sadness within our hearts. A bright sadness. Not a dull gloom. A bright sadness. Its aim is not the despair of defeat, the discouragement that accompanies the discovery that once again we can't do it, we can't be perfect, we can't live sinless lives, so I even try. We'll give up chocolate for a season, go off Facebook, and by that ruse we will win our way back into the heart of God somehow. Lent is not made to inculcate guilt or to evoke gloom in the soul. Far from it, sin is far too serious for such a tepid response. Our fasts are for a catharsis for sure, but for a purification not a putrefaction, a celebration of life, not a flirtation with death. Jesus, after all, has settled that, I would have thought. Has he not? Why do we then put him back on the cross again and again and again? He who, for our sake, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God has done his work. Why are we trying to do it for ourselves again and again? 
Is there then an expiry date on the atonement? No. We don't fast to worm our way back into that state where half in love with easeful death, we surrender the struggle for virtue and succumb to the lure of the couch and the easy chair and the uneaten chocolate bar. Our little detour of self-denial has one aim in reality, our affirmation and our encouragement. There's nothing wrong with self-denial, but we have to see where it leads, and that's to the resurrection. And Lent counts down to the resurrection. Jesus says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fa- Anoint your head. Get ready for worship, he's saying. Get ready to praise God. That your fasting may not be seen by others. That the signs of your repentance may not be seen, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We do without undergo our self-denial, not as a demonstration, a public statement of our commitment to the king of the kingdom of God and his claim on our lives, in which we proclaim, nothing we do matters to you, nothing is ever good enough, but I'll try again, what have I to lose? No, we signal our desire to do without, to self-denial, as a love note, to the lover of our souls. A few intimate words scribbled in secret, hastily but with tender urgency, using that love language that the lover of our souls and our souls have wrought, saying again, nothing matters but you. And even the best thing that this beautiful world offers are nothing compared to you. And I surrender them gladly, lovely as they are, and lay them at your feet. The work we do then, this Lent, is to rekindle the relationship, which may have got lost in the shuffle of the cards as we are dealt what the world dishes out day after day, and the shuffle of our feet as our step loses its spring and everyday life wears its down and its feeble rewards. It's not a renunciation of that which is most important to us, but a clearing away of the clutter that gets in the way, a recovery of what has been mislaid, and a recovery of what lies ahead, of hope. For Lent is for lovers, and Lent is all about love. And God is love, and we are called to one thing, love, love of him, love of one another, It's a little out of sight in our Lenten liturgy, but it must never be out of mind. So may I suggest, rather than turning inward and seeking to scour the depths of our souls for the things that get in our way and impede and inhibit our ability to express our love, may we turn rather to those we love. Those we love best, those we have loved longest, maybe our family, our kin, our relationships bonded in blood. May we turn to them. Those relationships are not always sealed with a kiss. For those we love longest and best are those who know us at our best and at our worst. And they are often best situated to tell us our faults and our foibles. And they are often the last ones we want to hear them from. But when our relationships founder, 
those we love most so often hurt us most. Why? Because we love them. Because so much has been shared. So let's try to listen to them. To stop and pause and draw them out. When they say something that cuts us to the quick. Even if they share their insights in ways that hurt us. Let's hear from them. And let's also look to those others who so quickly get under our skin, irritate us, drive us to rage. Maybe not those we grew up with, but maybe those we work with, maybe even the most casual acquaintances. What is it about them that we so dislike, that haunts us, that obsesses us, that hooks us and won't let us go? Chances are good we're looking at ourselves at the very things that those who know us best would tell us are so true of ourselves if they could bring themselves to do it. We project those things on others, and they bounce right back at us. We must learn to see this, too, as gift, pure gift, to take a deep breath, take ownership of what we see, name them, claim them as ours, and set about the business of transforming them into the virtues of which they are the shadow, the right ideals that we want for ourselves but have simply failed to get around to getting. Bright sadness indeed, but the sting is of catharsis, of purification. That's what Lent is for, deep cleansing, the tingle of the astringent, the splash of the cleansing spring, the Holy Spirit challenging, convicting, and comforting. Return to the Lord our God, for he is gracious and merciful. We don't even hear those words. He is gracious and merciful. The text could not be clearer. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Don't grieve a punishment that he is withholding at his own price, his own cost, so he can give you his blessing. Rend your hearts and not your garments. There is nothing to grieve. Jesus has done his work. The Holy Spirit is working too for those who are children of the Most High. No need for sadness, only for hope. Life in Christ is renewed and always renewing. And for every act of repentance, of turning, of setting some false and fleeting thing at his feet, in which we have foolishly invested our ultimate hopes, there is joy, joy in heaven, joy on earth. At the end of this service and every service in Lent, we will turn and face that great wall as we hear the dismissal gospel the gospel of the good shepherd looking for that lost sheep. Every other symbol has been shrouded. But that beautiful painting that Joel Sheasley has gave us of the cross springing to life in a great tree on whose branches all of the new creation nestles from whom springs of living water burst forth, that tree is the symbol of our hope. When that gospel is read, let us face it 
And let's try a little harder this Lent to believe it. Amen.